Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for that name that is so precious, that name that is so powerful, that name that has saved us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can place all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our faith in him alone, for he alone is victorious. He has won the day and given us new life so we can truly wake up this morning and know that you are for us, not against us, that your love will always prevail. We thank you for the promises that are ours because of his name. Father, would you give us eyes to see him clearly today? Would you give us ears to hear from you today? As we open up your word, open up our hearts. Speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. It's great to see all of you today. Thank you so much for leading us this morning. Devin and Katie and Dan and team, so thankful for you. Pastor Chris sends his regards. He and Yodi have not been feeling very well. Please pray for them. They will certainly plan on joining us next week as Pastor Chris kicks off this new series in the book of James. So we will look forward to that. Make sure you do not uh, miss that. And uh, wonder. I, I'm just really excited about that series as we get going in the new year. For today, if you have your Bible, please join me in Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we will spend our time, Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you for joining us here in person and making it through the roads and uh, making it here and all the effort that you did to do so. And for those of you joining us online as well. One of my favorite television shows is called Deadliest Catch on the Discovery Channel. It follows the lives of crabbing boat crews working in the Bering Sea between Alaska and Russia. And after 17 seasons of the show, you get to witness the arc of people's lives. I've seen all 17. I don't think I've actually missed an episode. Some men grow up, some become husbands, some become grandparents, some very sadly become addicts, some overcome addictions. Some get wealthy, some lose it all, Several have even died. It's a fascinating case study of just human behavior and these men and their families, mostly men, as they do this very incredibly difficult job. Well, several years ago, the fleet of crab boats were fishing in the midst of a typhoon named Nuri. It was one of the worst storms in decades, very high winds, very huge waves. Some of them, most of them, in fact, uh, reaching over 20 feet, some reaching over 50 feet. Now imagine being the captain. You've got to navigate through the storm. You're responsible for the lives of the crew walking around on deck. You've got quota that you need to catch. You've got deadlines and paychecks and bills to pay and expectations, all while calculating the risk of fishing through a typhoon. Now one of the younger captains, his name is Joshua Harris, was at the wheel when the typhoon hit. He has a co-captain who is also his partner with a whole lot more experience than he has. So when the waves and the winds became too dangerous and too intimidating to him, he said to his co-captain, Casey, you're going to have to take this one over for me. Basically, he's saying, I don't think I can do what I signed up to do. 
He's always wanted to be captain. His dad was a captain. This was his dream. He'd say it was in his blood. He'd say it's who he is. It's what he's supposed to do with his life. He'd say it's his purpose. It was clearly an expectation that he carry on the family legacy. But in that particular moment, on that particular day, he didn't even feel like he was worthy to sit in the captain's chair. In other words, he couldn't live up to his calling. Have you ever felt that way before? I certainly have. Have you ever felt ill-equipped or under-equipped or under-experienced to do what you've been called to do? Ever feel like the job or the mission you've been called to do is bigger or higher and harder and heavier than what you think you can handle? I think every single one of us who has been called to follow Jesus, that name we just sang about, has felt this way before. All of us who have been called to lift up the name of Jesus and follow his ways has felt this feeling before that we can't live up to this incredible calling. Our world, if we think about it, is constantly looking at Christians and saying, see, they're not worthy. They are just collapsing under the weight of their own hypocrisy. Need an example? They're not very hard to come by. Can you think, actually, of one single word that our world places more moral expectation on than Christian? And they should. It it actually makes sense because being a Christian means that we are saying, I'm going to be like, I'm going to learn from, I'm going to follow that guy. Well, which guy? Well, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. The one who lived in perfect obedience to the Father. The one who never sinned. The one who is always full of grace. He's always full of truth and always full of love. Christians, disciples, are those who are learning to be like him. But then in moments when the winds pick up and the waves start crashing over the bow, maybe you think like I do sometimes, it's pretty hard to navigate this one. You're going to have to come take over. I'm not sure I can live up to this calling. I'm not sure I can do this. And we should all feel that way because the truth is, without help, without help, we cannot live up to our calling as followers of Jesus. It's impossible. The bar is simply too high. So how am I supposed to navigate, maybe you've thought, through all the political and social insanity with grace and with truth and with love like Jesus? I can't live up to all the expectations people are putting on me. Or maybe all the expectations that you're putting on yourself. I can't live up to my calling as a dad or a spouse or a wife or as a friend or whatever. How am I supposed to live up to my calling as a Christian? Friends, there is hope. There is hope for us, and that's what I have for you today. God is not setting us up to fail. And today we will find God saying to us that we must live out of our calling in Christ as we begin this new year. We must live out of our calling in Christ. Let me begin in verse 1 where Paul the apostle writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How can we do it? 
How can we live up to this standard? How do we live out our calling in Christ? Through Paul, God gives us two answers. Here's the first. We must know the worth of our calling. We must know the worth of our calling. Now, Paul starts chapter four here with a therefore. That means based on everything that he has just finished saying. So what did Paul spend three chapters saying? We're picking up the story right in the middle of the book. Well, first, Paul establishes in the first three chapters who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, he describes what it is that makes up their nature, that makes up their identity. In chapter one, he tells us that in Christ, our Father God, verse four, has chose us, Verse five has adopted us. Verse seven has redeemed us. Verse seven has forgiven us. That our father gave us an inheritance that is imperishable. Verse 11, that he gave us the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, chapter two keeps going and tells us that in Christ, our father God has moved us from death to life. Verse one, from slavery to our sin to freedom. Uh, from under the wrath of God to under the grace of God, from purposelessness to purpose, from being far off to being brought near, from being strangers to God to becoming citizens of God's kingdom, members of his house, and stones in his temple. And in chapter three, he goes on to tell us that in Christ, people of all types, every nation, every flavor, every shade, every variation, are brought together in one spiritual family, a new creation called the church. And then in verse one, he says, I therefore, based upon who we are, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he's writing from prison this letter, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's basically saying, now that you know who you are, because you know whose you are, here's now how you are to live. He says basically the same thing as well in the book of Philippians, another letter that he wrote from prison. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul Tripp He's an author, a pastor. He helped me understand these verses. Basically, he has said that we've misunderstood and mishandled this passage time and time again. And perhaps this is how you've heard it preached or you've heard it taught. The common theme is it's your job when we hear these verses read. It's our job to live up to the standard of the gospel. In other words, just be better. Just be good. Just within yourself, find the own strength that you need. Just pull your own self up by the bootstraps. You can find the strength within yourself. Just leave this place and be a better Christian. Get your act together. But if that's what Paul means, we are all in trouble. We have no ability to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel without help. Self-reliance has limitations that none of us can overcome. But this doesn't mean we should just throw in the towel and say, since I can't live up to the expectation of my calling in Christ, I'll just be whatever version of me that seems the most satisfying and I'll just go with that. No, not at all. We've been bought with a price and are called to glorify God with our actions. The idea then 
And this is so critical for us to hear. This is what God has been just pouring over my soul and pouring over my head and pouring over my heart this week. The idea is not to live up to the gospel in our own strength, but rather to live out of the gospel. And that's a very important distinction. I had one of those itches in the last 24 to 48 hours to try to get myself in shape again this year. I'm thinking about trying to go to the gym more consistently and thinking about it is as far as I've gotten. It might be as far as I get in the next several days. And there's an old workout I was thinking about trying to do called the challenge. And the challenge, it's a great workout. It's a simple workout where you basically, it's a push-pull workout. You just do push-ups and pull-ups. And you figure out all these different cycles of them. So you might do one style of push-up and then another style of a pull-up. And then you just go through several iterations for about a half hour. And you pick a number. That's basically what you do. Whatever number you pick, that's how many push-ups you need to do. That's how many pull-ups you need to do. And you just do it over and over through all the different styles. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all these workouts that I've done with this one in the past where I've tried to complete the challenge. And the push-ups, I can kind of get done. I can get through them. It's hard, but I can do it. But the pull-ups, whatever the number is, I get through a few of them and I just get to that place where it's like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't physically do it. I can't do these pull-ups. This is like what we try to do spiritually. I'm going to live a life worthy of the gospel. I'm gonna just get myself up on the bar and I'm gonna pull myself with all of my strength up to that standard and I'm gonna attain it. I'm gonna be like Jesus. But we can't get there. And all we're left with is disappointment and failure. We can't pull ourselves up to that standard. Because when we try to do it that way, the emphasis is on me. It's all about me. But we'll never live up to the standard of the gospel in our own strength. We see what it means to really follow Jesus and we say, if you really know who he is, I can't do it. I learned something doing this workout. The only way I could get through the challenge and the only way I could get to the number is if I could also use my legs. If I had a chair and could use a little support from my legs, I needed another source of strength. And Jesus provided that very thing to us, but it's not a thing, he's a person. The Holy Spirit has been given as a precious gift. He is called our helper, he indwells us, he supports us, he strengthens us in Christ. He empowers us, not to live up to our calling, but to live out of our calling because we've already been given an identity. Here's another thing that we must embrace as we work through this text. When we let other people and other things, not God, but people and things define our calling, our identity, when we let them define what it is, that's identity theft. You're just stealing who it is that we were actually meant to be. Your political persuasion should not be what primarily influences who you are and your calling. Neither should your social standing or your job or your body, or your friendships, or your title, or anything of this world for that matter. 
Was Jesus' identity dependent upon a political perspective or a heavenly one? His identity is established in God's kingdom, not any kingdoms of this world. And what this means is that living out of our calling means letting the gospel tell us what to believe about ourselves. Letting it define who we are in Christ. I think many of us here today, perhaps many online who are watching, need to come to grips with the reality that your identity has been stolen. You've allowed it to be defined by some other person or some other thing, and you come into 2022 and you're like, I know what my calling is. But that calling has not been established by Christ. You've allowed someone else or something else to take that place of preeminence. You've let somebody define you. And the truth is, you have to choose to drop that ID card and pick up the one from Ephesians chapters one through three, because that one's much better. That's one that we would actually want to embrace. Paul is not calling us friends to live a life worthy of the American dream. He doesn't call us to live a life worthy of a reality TV show. He doesn't call us to live a life that looks great to everybody on the outside. He tells us, live a life worthy of your calling. And our calling is a follower of Jesus. Our calling is the gospel. That is the only thing worth living for this year. Whatever other pursuits... Whatever other dreams, goals, aspirations, this calling ought to be the one that shapes everything we do. That's what it means to be a Christian. Let's stop trying to live up to the gospel to fulfill that expectation. We can't do that pull up. Give up the whole new year, new you theme because the truth is if you are in Christ, you've already been created new. You've already been created new. And this is so important. This is so important for you. I pray to God that through his spirit, you would embrace this reality because if you are in Jesus Christ, you need to hear today, this year, you have nothing to prove. It's all already been done for you. You have nothing, friend, to lose. What do you have to lose when every spiritual blessing is already yours in Jesus Christ? And so when we stop trying to live up to the standard that we set for ourselves and we live out of our identity, now we realize we can live in real freedom. Friends, hear me. You have nothing to prove. What are you trying to prove? And to whom? When you're already called a child of God through faith, you have nothing to lose. What can you lose that's not already yours in Jesus? What inheritance, what pursuit, what gift other than the gospel which is imperishable and has been planted inside of you can be taken from you? There's nothing that you have to prove. There's nothing that you have to lose this year. You only need to live out of your calling in Christ. Throw out all those other IDs. Throw them in the trash. Live out of the gospel. That means letting the Holy Spirit give you the strength you need to follow Jesus. How do we live out our calling in Christ? We must know the worth of our calling. Now look at verses two through six and we'll see what comes next. 
He says, as you live out of our calling in Christ, as you live this life worthy of the gospel, do so with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And again, in Philippians, Paul says basically the same thing. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How do we live out our calling in Christ? We must know the worth of our calling. Second, we must know the nature of our calling. We must know the nature of our calling. Paul is saying here, the way to live a life worthy of our calling involves a set of characteristics that ultimately depends upon the health and depth of your spiritual community. And that's a mouthful. We'll come back to it in a minute because that's such a heavy concept that we must spend time contemplating and thinking about. But he starts here by saying our calling means that through the Spirit, we choose to be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me pause there for a second. Before we move on, anybody else feel like you need to demonstrate a little bit more humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace in your life? Man, this hit me so hard. If it doesn't hit you hard, you must not have teenagers in your home. But if you do and you're a dad or just a fallen human being like I am, when you read these characteristics of those who are representing Jesus Christ on this earth and you look at that standard and you try to do that pull up and you say, man, I didn't get there. I need your grace. I need your help. Because when we look at our lives, maybe just we see that failure or disappointment or repetitive cycle of falling short of this type of standard. And does this standard matter? Yes, it does. This reminded me, in fact, of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. He has a similar list. He starts and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, be humble. Blessed are the meek, be gentle. Blessed are the peacemakers, live to maintain peace. And here's a paraphrase of what Pastor John Piper said about all of this. He said, the Beatitudes are the nails in the coffin of the false belief that you can be saved and not experience life change. So the point is, these character qualities in Ephesians 4 aren't to be taken lightly. This is how we are to live. This is what it means to follow Jesus. The point is that we can't get there on our own. We must live out of our identity and out of the strength of the Spirit to get there. That's why we have nothing to prove. We just have something to follow. We have nothing to lose. We just have something that's already ours to share. And the word of God attaches all of these character qualities to the broader context. It's so important, you must see it here. Our relationships then with people in the church. That's where it's meant to be lived out. Here's the thing. 
According to the word of God and according to the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we all need community to fulfill our calling in Christ. We cannot live a life worthy of our calling alone. The context of our calling is a collective of people, and this is the thing that I believe that the American church and all of Western society, for those who call themselves followers of Jesus, have so disregarded these last two years. Do not miss it. It can't just be any collection of people. It has to be a healthy, Christ-centered community of people. Is it possible to have Real community the way Paul is describing here without unity. No. Community and unity are requirements of our calling in Christ. Community and unity are requirements of our calling in Christ. Think about it. How is the world even to know that we are Christian? What does the word of God say? How is a desperate world going to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Jesus says this, they will know you. They will see their their need of me. They will see the distinction between the good news and the message of the world through you as you love one another. It's all dependent on how we actually do life together in community that demonstrates to the world their very need of Jesus. So if we don't collectively show what life looks like in community because we're so isolated, then we have nothing to offer a desperate world. That's hard to hear, but it is the context of the New Testament. And notice what type of unity here Paul is saying we need to maintain. That means we need to fight for it, protect it, pursue it. He says the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, not the unity of our opinions, not the unity of our preferences, not the unity of how we think everything ought to be done. And again, I need to say it because of our cultural moment, not the unity around social policy. And again, not the unity around political commentary. These things are important, but they are so often horribly misplaced. Think about the stupidity of saying if these words were to change and it were to read, live a life worthy of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Live a life worthy of Ford or GM or Chrysler or live a life worthy of a Zerilli, to use my last name, or a Brooks. Maybe our family names get a little closer but to, to real purpose and deep longing and need, but that doesn't unite us because, again, that makes it all about me. It's not until we get to live a life worthy of the gospel that we actually have something now big enough, extravagant enough, glorious enough, gracious enough to bind together every type of person from every type of background in Christ for a purpose. And so he says, this is our calling. This is our purpose to collectively live a life worthy of the gospel, not in your own strength, empowered by the Spirit. There are so many useless things that bring people together, insignificant, petty things. We're brought together over, you know, our five-year-old soccer team because they're all gonna be professionals one day. All of them. And there's so many other 
silly things, useless things that tear people apart. But we have a unity unlike any other, the unity of the spirit of the living God. We cannot live out our calling without growing in deep relationship with one another. Deep interpersonal community with brothers and sisters in Christ is the context of these New Testament teachings. This is why we must be very, very careful of how we think about our presence with the church. Because when life jumps up and bites you, I just know I need it, and I think you do too. You need the people of God to bear with you and love you through your struggle. You need the people of God to strive with you. You need the people of God to pick you up when you're lying flat on your face. You need the prayer of your brothers and sisters. You need the encouragement of the people around you. You need them, and they need you. That's why we're here. That's why we have this local body of believers. That's why we gather. Look at these last few verses again. There is one body, he said, very famous text, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is really a beautiful passage to connect with communion. We're gonna respond in praise and then we'll take the elements together, but this points us to our unity in Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. His shed blood poured out for our sin, his broken body given for us. When we take communion together, we are saying we are united in this. We are Christians And while we admit that not a single one of us is worthy, all of us who drink of the cup and all of us who eat of this bread have been called by the one and only one who is worthy. The Lamb of God who came came to take away the sins of the world, your sins and mine. The way and the truth and the life, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one name under heaven by which men and women may be saved. Jesus, friends, is the basis for our unity. Let's not allow anything in this year, any other distraction, any other purpose, any other pursuit, nothing should break away us, uh, should tear us away from our bond of peace in Christ. We must be committed to spiritual family. We must know the worth of our calling. We must know the nature of our calling as we live out the gospel in Christ. I wanna ask you as we prepare for worship here, just to stand with me if you would, just as a moment of unity together. The truth is we wanna live out our calling in Christ. The strength of any union, any relationship, any marriage, any church in Christ is determined by the depth of communion that we have with Christ. The depth of our relationship with him and the word And as we consider this text today, I want you to put aside every fake ID you've been holding on to. I want you right now, even in your mind, to to remind yourself you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to lose. We only have the freedom to live in Christ. And when we do so in community, that's what the world will see. 
So Paul says here, we're one body. We're one family, not two. We don't have two spirits, one in you and a different one in me. We don't have two lords, your favorite version of Jesus and mine. We don't have two faiths, the parts that you like best and that you really hold on to and then the ones that I do. We don't have two kinds of baptisms, one that's a dedication and one that's a declaration of faith. We don't have two fathers. There's not two, there's just one. And that's what binds us together. So Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Father, it is our desire to live out our calling in Jesus. We want to live lives worthy of the gospel, so we lay down every other identity. We submit it to you. We confess the times we've tried to do the pull-up ourselves without listening to your spirit. And Father, today we unite around your son's broken body and blood. There is no other calling that is greater. There is no other sacrifice that is stronger. There's no other example worth following. There is no other name to lift up or praise but the one name of Jesus. And Father, if there be any here online or in this room who have not received him as Lord and Savior, I pray that in this moment they would confess him as Lord, saying, Jesus, forgive me of, me, of my sin. I place my faith in you. You are the one to transform my life. Only in you I will have nothing to prove, nothing to lose. Father, that would be new life truly for them. That would be real transformation. And for everyone who has been transformed by the power of your spirit through faith in Jesus, I pray that we would live our calling, live out of our calling in Christ. Not trying to fulfill expectations as though we can attain something that's already ours, but responding to your goodness and grace. All because of your blood your broken body, your sacrifice. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's sing this together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.